human rights are an absurd notion. That much ought to be obvious. The basis of the human rights concept is simple enough. But if you embrace the idea wholeheartedly, you are probably an atheist. Even so, the concept sets a dangerous precedent on two different fronts. It poses problems quantitatively and qualitatively. On one hand, if human rights are implemented, where does the right end quantitatively? How much of it are we entitled to? Even the most evil of persons are human and so, by the terms of the rights narrative, entitled to a full measure of human rights. The most distant, alienated and numerous people are still people, and are by that measure as entitled to the same rights as the most developed and cultured person. How do we deprive anyone of their rights? At what point can we turn off the tap? At what point does my rights to my life, liberty and pursuit of happiness permit me to deny, deprive or at least, ignore the right to live, liberty and the pursuit of happiness of others, regardless of the reason? Does the fact I have human rights mean I must circumscribe my rights to provide them for others? Can we tell someone with the right to life that the burden they are putting on our common resources have exceeded what they are worth as a human being? Indeed, where does the right to happiness come from? Who is required to supply the conditions or happiness? Why would anyone have a right to liberty when your liberty will inevitably collide with mine? Even the right to life becomes a bizarre notion when we think about the obsession around free access to abortion. Is there a human right to kill the preborn? What happens to a child as it exits a vagina that gives it human rights? No one is going to subscribe to the idea the born do not have rights. No one is going to run for office on a platform of eliminating rights. Yet we find rights compromised at every turn. The rights of the rich are not the rights of the poor. The disadvantaged have the right to receive support and sustenance from those who worked harder or experienced greater luck. The rights are not the same. The rich naturally have a greater facility to pursue happiness. The poor may have the right to pursue happiness but are too preoccupied with pursuing a subsistent level existence to worry much about happiness. And while many human rights seem to require birth, there are many other rights that extend only to maturity or begin only upon maturity. But what are rights when they belong only to a privileged group? Ought they even be called human rights, if they do not adhere to all persons in all times and places? If we subscribe to this definition of human rights, we would have a difficult time coming up with an actual human right. Indeed, some suggested rights are possibly in conflict with those who are supposed to have the right. The right to work is not must comfort to those who do not wish to work, in fact it might be construed as a threat and a potential violation of their right not to work. A basic description of human rights is the things to which all persons are inherently entitled to because they are human beings. Human rights describe how we instinctively expect to be treated as persons. They define what we are all entitled to, a life of equality, dignity and respect, to live free from discrimination and harassment. These are nice-sounding words, but I doubt anyone reads them without the sense this is more about optics than serious policy. The idea of attributing rights to all persons is unworkable and not even desirable. To say we are inherently entitled to certain things because we are human beings suggests they are akin to a good feeling or something metaphysical like mind. It is difficult to correlate something we are entitled to with something that is scarce and needs to be provided by others. It might be said we have a right to love, knowing it is not us who is required to provide it. We might say all persons have a right to adequate food, but where does the food come from? 
even the idea of equality is problematical. Are we equally free or equally imprisoned? Are we equal in wealth or in poverty? Do we all get the same home, education and job? Or are we equally deprived of these things? Who determines what equality is and who measures it? But then why is this arbiter of equality not equal with the rest of us? What does it mean to be free of discrimination? If we cannot voice our opinion on another race are we not being discriminated against? The problem is most ideas are simply a way to give power to the opinion holder. In the end someone gets the job of deciding what all of these rights means and how they will be apportioned. Which adds to the issues associated with human rights. If rights are allocated by humans or their institutions, are they even rights? Would it not be more accurate to label such things as legal rights? If they are given and taken and apportioned out according to an intersectional hierarchy, these things have more to do with an ethical system administrated by the state than a moral or absolute standard. What we ought to have noticed by now is that human rights are never tied to the Bible. Indeed, the Bible is more likely to talk about duties and obligations than rights. When rights are talked about it is in terms of reciprocation or quid pro quo. No one is promised rights, absolutely. Even the right to life assumes you reciprocate. But if human rights are better expressed as a quid pro quo, ought they be considered rights rather than a kind of social contract? We claim we have a right to a fair return on investments or a right to be paid for what they do, but this is in response to what was earned not what was bestowed on one by the fortuitous circumstances of birth. Human rights are like primogeniture, the right of the eldest to inherit the estate of his father. It's a legal or expected benefit. There is nothing in nature that correlates with these rights. We discussed the quantitative problem about how much rights are we to have and how we are to portion them out, but there is a qualitative problem also. The most obvious qualitative issue is the tendency of some to broaden human rights out, so they apply to animals and planets and even to the earth as a whole. Environmentalism is a thinly veiled way to extend human rights to the planet. We cannot call them human rights of course, but the substance of the right or protection is the same. The arguments of vegans and others are also rights-based. But we will not spend any more time on this aspect of the rights issue. There is a deeper and more sinister problem with the human rights argument. Who has the right to define who is human and who is not? Who has the right to assign rights to one creature and not to another? The entire human rights narrative assumes more than it can explain. The human rights argument assumes human rights are a legal right tied to the state's power, or the argument suggests man has been deified. It is as a deified creature that man has become imbued with inalienable attributes. But man is not God and cannot claim rights based on a sense of divine entitlement. However, a part of the two errors there is third issue never discussed or contemplated. We said human rights create a problem of quantification. There is no objective way to discern how much of what right each person is entitled to. We brought up the qualitative problem concerning what creature has had rights. But this problem did not arise in a vacuum. They were produced by the way we think about rights. There is in fact a fundamental problem about how we think about human rights that was missed since the idea of rights was first proposed. It may be the last thing we expect to hear but there is no such thing as a human race, not from a biblical perspective. Despite the universal claim we are all human beings, we all reject the idea that all these creatures are the same. 
human race is a concept given lip service and not much actual support. We may not call the division between groups a racial one but it is the only category that does justice to the depth of the division. The political evidence of an innate division is found in the political parties of the left and right. This division is carried over to the economic arena. The division of left and right is deep and even rich and poor, east and west, is unbridgeable, even if not well defined. But this is to be expected because politics and economics are not the true source of this division. In truth, the division we see exists as much to divert attention from the real split as to model what the division looks like. The true division is the one we find in scripture. Even here it can be presented in any of several different ways. The Bible talks of those of the flesh and those of the spirit. There are those of Satan and those of God. There are two masters and we can follow only one. There is no indication that these groups are relative or are simply extremes on a social continuum. There is something absolute about the division and something a person has or does not have. There is no grey area like many think when they imagine good and evil. It's not two polar extremes separated by an infinite continuum of grey. We are in one group of the other. Oddly enough the best way of understanding this division does not correspond to any of the divisions this world understands. The division relates to the distinction between morality and ethics and between those who live by the law and those who live by faith. The division is best represented by the difference between religion and faith. But why do those of a religion and those who are Christians constitute two distinct races? Why are we not all just different classes of persons and all part of one human race? But we have failed to establish what a human right is. We have looked at two possibilities. Either a human right is a legal right or benefit administrated by a regulatory state on behalf of its subjects in return for their allegiance, the quid pro quo option, or human rights are the product of man's deification. If a benefit is a right and pertains to humans, it really ought to be considered a legal right. There is no way to deliver rights other than through the law. The application of law to the provision of a benefit requires a state. But this means a right is a legislated benefit, not a right in the classical sense of the word. The classical idea of a right pertains to an attribute of a deity. The right to life cannot pertain to all persons in all places at all times. Even where it does apply, we need to establish what a human is. Many people do not think a fetus is human. Then we get into problems with racists and others who would like to exclude some persons from being considered human. In short, human rights is far more problematical than most people are prepared to admit. That being said why do we postulate that human rights are not universal? The only way human rights can be universal, i.e. not a product of state legislation, is if humanity is a deity. The Bible does not promise us physical life nor does it guarantee us physical life as a right. Indeed, it does not promise anything that is physical to us. To accept human rights is not biblical as we are either negotiating with the state, regarding something the state does not itself have a right to, or we are claiming equality with God. Christians want life everlasting in the spirit, not the flesh. Human rights pertain to the flesh, not the spirit. So, those who advocate for human rights have a category problem. Human rights are not a biblical concept and life is not something owned by the state, and so it cannot be legitimately administrated by the state. The state can certainly not provide anyone with any guarantees regarding life. To have rights Christians must subscribe to the tenets of liberals. 
But we are not liberals, and we are not of their world or their reality. Humans are legalists. Human beings exercise rights and an expression of power. Christians are a different race, set apart. There are no human rights as the liberals imagine then, applicable to all persons everywhere. Christians abjure them as we abjure all things gifted to us from Babylon. We come out of Babylon and in coming out we leave behind all of its benefits, entitlements and gifts. We are of God, and we accept only that which is godly. In our framework, we recognize two great systems or ways of thinking. There is a system of legal rights as administrated by the regulatory liberal state, and there is the biblical system rooted in the church. The church is the body of believers, not as a physical group but as a value-creating agency. The church has the rights of analytical truth and of logical coherency. We have rights that are inalienable because they are embedded in the way the world works and the way all persons think. We all know if a person creates it he has the right to it. This is the true right of ownership and it cannot be alienated without destroying civilization and all of humanity. We own what we create, we do not own rights or entitlements. No one is owed anything. We have a right to earn and claim what we earn. There are no rights that are physical and so we cannot inherit rights attached to our physical person. There are no human rights attached to the physical person of man.